Well, good morning and welcome to everyone here and those joining us at all of our campuses, our online West Tonka and Bush Lake campuses. It's so good to be together. And I don't know about you, but I love starting our morning, not just in worship, but hearing God's word through the mouths of our kiddos. At all of our campuses, we are able to do that today. So grateful for that. Before we dive into our message, I just want to give a quick heads up. First of all, I haven't had the chance to meet you yet. My name is Zach. I've, I serve as one of the pastors here at Westwood. But we have some exciting things coming up over the next several weeks. You know, our heartbeat here at Westwood is that we want to know God and share Jesus with people here, near, and far. We know that we have this amazing opportunity to make an impact, not just here locally, but also globally around the world. And over the next several weeks, we are actually sending out two mission teams to the continent of Africa. We're sending a team to Ghana and a a team to Togo. And so what we want to do is just raise some awareness around that and invite some prayer into this. And so our first team heading to Ghana in the next few weeks, you can see a photo there on the screen. They will be working with our ministry partners called Globe Serve. And they will be speaking and teaching regional churches about the topic of biblical justice, specifically as it relates to child slavery on Lake Volta there in Ghana. Yes, child slavery still exists. And so we want to see God's justice come to that country. The second team that's going is going to Togo in a couple weeks. And you can see there's a little riffraff on that team. It's, it's my joy to, to jump in and, and come alongside a lot of the folks there. And as we go to Lome, Togo... We're going to be working with a lot of local ministry partners, a lot of local churches and church planters to talk about the idea of pastoral leadership, uh, spiritual and emotional health, and integrity in terms of our leadership. And so I'm just so excited for what our church is up to and for the movement of God in and through this place around the globe. And so we want to pray for and commission, not just today, but each day moving forward, but specifically today, we want to pray for and commission these teams. And so our custom, our posture here is to have one with open hands, to receive from God and with open hands to give away. And so I want to invite all of us here, those at our campuses, would you please join me in a posture with open hands as we pray for these mission teams Let's unite our hearts together in prayer. Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you are a God who is on the move, that we begin to see that you came to seek and save the lost, uh, not just in Jesus' earthly ministry, but yes, even here today, right now. And you seek to spread your goodness, your justice, your holiness uh, throughout the lives and throughout the countries of our world today. And so we pray for the team heading to Ghana. We pray for the team heading to Togo. We ask Lord, that you will unite these teams, that you will give them provision. We pray that you will give them peace. We pray, Lord, that you will prepare even now those who are to be before them as they step forward in obedience to what you have called them to do. Give them protection in these coming weeks and make a ripple effect, a God-sized ripple effect in Ghana and in Togo only in the way that you can, Lord. And Lord, for those who are staying back, for friends, for family, we pray for their peace and for their provision as well. Give them all that they need in this time. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. And all God's people said, amen, amen. Amen. Well, a few years ago, my wife Cassie and I, we decided to do a little bit of a home renovation project, a DIY, if you might. And uh, you might be thinking, well, Zach, you don't look like a guy that could really swing a hammer very well. Why would you do such a thing? The reason for that, we were watching way too much HDTV. Okay, yeah, some of you all know. Fixer Upper, Dream Home Makeover, all of that good stuff. And so as we were watching that, we kind of thought to ourselves, how hard could it really be? Yeah. 
So I got my sledgehammer, I got my sawzall, it was great. We went into uh, day one, which is demo day. And I was just like, you know, sledgehammering this shower. It was so much fun. I was like, yeah, manly stuff. And I'm ripping out, you know, drywall and fiberglass and pulling up uh, the flooring there. And uh, everything was going well. The dust began to settle. And then day two or three stepped in and I began to kind of look and assess what was going on. And I realized, okay, I need to uh, set the shower pan first. And so I placed the new shower pan in. I had great hopes and dreams. You know, <laughs> yeah, one of y'all out, y'all get it. You know what's happening. I, sh- I, I set the shower pan, but I realize the drain isn't quite lining up. I'm like, hmm, this is interesting. And I try to, you know, finagle it a little bit. That is a technical word, finagle, okay? And what I realized is I got to a point where it's like, I need to cut out the subfloor and look what's underneath to figure out if I can line up this drain. And so I pulled out another saw, I cut up that subfloor and I pulled it back and I looked down in complete horror and disbelief. You see, because when they had built the house some 15, 18 or so years ago, they had cut through the floor joist to drop the drain right there. Yeah, they had mismeasured. Can, can someone say, oops, right? And so what did they do? They slapped a little two by four right alongside that floor joist. Okay, for those of you who watch HGTV and you know when they walk into the house and they're like, I wonder if that's load bearing. Okay, that's what a floor joist does. All right, and so I just began to like get all these nightmares in my head. It was almost like that Allstate commercial, protect yourself from mayhem, okay? Where I was just gonna be showering one day and then all of a sudden I was gonna crash through the second floor onto the first floor and just dust going everywhere because the foundation that I had was unsettled and wasn't sturdy. And the collapse that could have been would have been awful and terrible. Now that isn't just some kind of cute, fun story for us to think about, but I think that there is actual real relevance that we see today. You see, because when we think about that idea of a collapse, of a fall, I I think that if we're honest, we see the potential, that we are teetering on a potential collapse all around us. You know, if you were to take an assessment of your own life, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you know what? man, I am just physically, emotionally, spiritually, I am spent. I'm teetering on the point of a collapse. Maybe for others of us, if we're really truly honest with ourselves, you think about some of the actions and some of the choices that we've made and and we're kind of sitting there, we're teetering on a potential moral fall. And I say that to say, man, let's lean into this because what I want us to look at today is just this one simple idea How can we build a foundation that will help us to avoid the collapse? How can we build a foundation that will help us to avoid a potential collapse? And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 6. We had all of our readers at our campuses read that. But to give you a roadmap for where we're going, I want to give you three key points, three ideas. As we look at Luke 6, we're going to see, first of all, a clarification Okay, a clarification for how we can build our foundation. Second, we're going to see a caution, a cautionary tale of what happens if we don't build the right foundation. And then third, a call, an invitation that Jesus gives to us, a calling that we have. So a clarification, a caution, and a call. But before we dive into our message, I want to real quickly give a review and overview of where we've been just in these two short weeks. Last week, Pastor Joel kicked us off on this series called Parables. A parable is a story with greater spiritual meaning, greater spiritual significance. And the idea of the parables here is that they will help us be and live, be and love like Jesus in our day and age today to look different than the world around us. And last week, Pastor Joel kicked us off with a diagram. I want to show it to you here. A little bit of what it means to to live and love like Jesus now. 
Uh, When we think about our Christian faith, we go all the way back to Genesis chapter three, and there's something called the fall. All right, and and the fall entered in, and and the effects of the fall and sin, you can see it continues along here with this yellowish, goldish arrow. But in our faith, we say Jesus arrives. Jesus first came some 2,000 years ago, and in our faith, we believe that Jesus will return again. And this is what theologians call the already, but not yet. That Jesus has already arrived. He's already victorious, but his full kingdom, his full kingship is not yet realized. Already, but not yet. And so as we live in this already, but not yet, we live in tension. And a lot of times we ask this question, man, why do bad things happen around us? Why is it so hard for me to live out my faith? That's the tension that we have. But the reality is that as we live in this tension, the parables will call us to be in love like Jesus, that we have a calling and we have a purpose in this life today. And so with that said, we can jump in to the first point that deals with the clarification. And in order to do that, I wanna go back to the parable to hear some of Jesus's challenging words. Look at the words of what he says here in verse 46. He clarifies for them. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I mean, Jesus comes right out and he, he pulls no punches, all right? Uh, what he's saying is, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you're not doing the things that I'm asking you to do? Now, a couple observations. The word Lord here is a word that we probably don't always use in our day and age vernacular. Okay, but the word Lord, right, it kind of carries that idea of like English idea of, of kind of like that old school where there was a Lord who ruled or reigned over a, a city or a village or some land, And that's the idea that we can see here, that whenever we say that Jesus is Savior and Lord, that Jesus is really Lord over all of our life, that he is overseeing, he is guiding, directing all of our lives, not just one hour on a Sunday morning. Uh, That we say Jesus is Lord over all. Uh, The way that I walk in my nine to five from Monday to Sunday, 24-7, Jesus is Lord over how I interact with my spouse, with my kids, with my classmates, with my coworkers. It's how I interact with the person who bags my groceries at the grocery store. Yes, to say Jesus is Lord. He's Lord even over how I drive when I'm stuck in traffic. Nobody else, just me. Okay, all right, here we go. But what Jesus is getting at in this verse is he's saying, why do you call me Lord? And yet you don't do the things that I'm calling you to do. Jesus is saying is there's a big disconnect between your proclamation and your practice. He's saying there's a disconnect between your affirmations and your actions. And so we go back, verse 47, it really highlights for us this this idea. It says here in verse 47, as for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And then in just a moment, he's gonna speak into this idea of the parable, the wise builder and the foolish builder. But what Jesus is getting at here is he's saying, I want you to have a connection between your proclamation and your practice. And so if we were to really have one key word to highlight this parable, it's the word obedience. Uh, Jesus is calling us to live a life of simple obedience. And when we think about that word obedience, you know, some of us kind of bristle at that idea. It's like obedience, that's what I do with my dog. I send them to obedience school, right? But when we think about obedience, it's this amazing thing. And so I want to unpack it for you here in just a bit. But what is obedience? We would say obedience is this. Obedience is saying yes to God promptings. Okay, this is the clarification that we get. Obedience is saying yes to God promptings. It's saying yes to how God prompts and nudges us. And so what is a God prompting? Because we use that word quite a bit here at Western from time to time. 
A God prompting is simply that whenever God prompts us or nudges us, and he's usually going to prompt us towards something that is life-giving. We say here that we want to be and love like Jesus, and so he's going to prompt us, he's going to direct us towards things that will benefit us in our life, and he's going to prompt us to avoid things that are life-detrimental to us, that will be things that pull us away from being and loving like Jesus. And the thing that I like so much about God promptings is that they connect our faith with our everyday life. A GP, a God prompting, it's like a spiritual GPS that draws those things together. And we can hear God promptings from the Holy Spirit nudging us. We can also understand God promptings from God's word as we read from that as well and as we study it. But the thing about a GP, the thing about a God prompting, it's not just enough to hear it. We have to say yes to it. All right, we have to follow through with this GP because it's one thing to say, yep, God, I hear you and then do nothing about it. We have to follow through with how God is prompting us. And when I think about obedience, obedience typically ties back into our love and our trust of somebody who's giving us direction. And when I think about obedience, I I think about the stage of life that we find ourselves in right now, my wife and I. Uh, For those of you who know, we've got three kids. We've got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and as of this week, a one-year-old. I'm not crying, it's my allergies, all right? I'm fine, I'm gonna pull it together. Uh, but, you know, our, our, our little ones are just like, they're growing up so fast. And there was a moment just a few, not even a few weeks ago, like two weeks ago, a week and a half, where uh, my, my five-year-old started kindergarten. And our daughter, our three-year-old, started preschool. And it all just happened on that morning. Okay, parents, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, we're sitting there, Cassie and I, we're getting ready for the day. And I hear my two boys, the five and one-year-old, off playing. And all of a sudden, I hear some screaming. And I turn around, and I see my five-year-old literally sitting on my one-year-old's head. And I'm like, okay, I didn't rebuke, I didn't shame, but I was just kind of like, dude, what, like, what are you doing? Hey, 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 get, get off of him, get off, move it. And uh, he, he, he jumped off of him, and he kind of stood up, and he sort of bowed his chest up a little bit. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, you're mean. <laughs> how did I respond? Perfectly just how Jesus would have wanted me to, right? I said, dude, you're mean for how you're treating your brother. Oh, do as I say, not as I do, right, church? Um, But it was one of those things where, like I said, I wasn't trying to shame him. I wasn't trying to guilt him. I wasn't trying to belittle him. But he in that moment was like, dad's trying to steal fun from me. Dad is killing my joy. It's like, on the contrary, buddy, like I want laughter, I want fun, I want joy to fill our house. I I want our kids to to look back with fond memories about their childhood. But you can't really do that if you're about to murder your little brother, okay? Okay. And that's the same that we have whenever it comes to God. You see, some of us are like, I'm not going to listen to you, God, because you're a cosmic killjoy. You're thinking God doesn't have my best intention in mind. But you see, a lot of times we just have to come to this understanding with with open hands to say, God, you know what? I I will say yes to how you're prompting me. Yes, I will say yes to obedience. Obedience is saying yes to God prompting. Because what we'll begin to see, what we'll begin to unpack is this. Obedience to Christ leads to life. Okay, that's what it looks like. Obedience to Christ leads to life. And that's the clarification that we begin with. We have to start this parable understanding that the foundation starts with an obedience to Jesus. But now we move into the second point, which talks about the caution. And Jesus gives us a warning sign here in this parable. And so we go back to the parable. We go back to the wise builder. Look at verse 48. It says this, uh, the people who hear and do, the people who are obedient to Jesus, they are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. 
And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but it could not, but it could not shake it because the house was well built. Okay, when you see this, it's pretty clear. Okay, it's talking about building, uh, digging down deep and building upon a strong and sturdy foundation. And I'm reminded of a story that I heard of uh, a father and a son. They would go to downtown Dallas because Dallas has these amazing skyscrapers. And, and they would go to these the skyscraper excavation sites and the dad would bring his son around and he'd say, son, I want you to look down in there. And, and you know, his, his son would kind of peer over the caution tape and look down. And his dad would say these words. I want you to understand this. The deeper the dig, the taller the building. Okay, the, the deeper the foundation, the taller and stronger and sturdier the building will be. And you see, that same principle carries through in this parable as well. Uh, the idea of the wise person building or uh, digging really deep down to build a foundation built on rock. And when we think about that, though, how hard is that? Because digging deep, I mean, that, come on, y'all, that takes time, doesn't it? And if there's anything that's true of our day and age today, we don't want things that take time. Okay, we want the microwave faith. We want it done right now. But the other word that's characterizing the wise person isn't just obedience, but it's also discipline. Uh, the person who is disciplined and their obedient call and direction from God. In fact, when I think about it, I'm reminded of uh, Jay Barnes, who was the president at Bethel when I was there in my undergrad. And Jay would say these words all the time. He'd say, daily decisions determine direction and destiny. All right, the daily decisions, the daily disciplines that we pursue will determine our direction and destiny. Think about it for a second. You are the sum of your discipline. You are the sum of your daily habits. And so that's what we have to live into. We have to see, first of all, are we listening? Are we hearing from God? And are we in discipline putting it into practice? Because... The contrary person, right, they don't want to pursue discipline, but they want the quick fix. They want the quick faith. The foolish person does the complete opposite. Look again at verse 49. It comes in here and it says, but the one, this is the, the other person, the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. It's so pretty straightforward. You can see this person, they built it on zero foundation. And when the torrent came, this river came and struck it, it collapsed. And in some translations in the Greek here, it doesn't just say the destruction was complete, but it says the fall was great. And so we see collapse and a great fall. And whenever we begin to unpack that, whenever I begin to dig into that and study that, I gotta be honest, my antenna went up because I was like, man, a collapse, a fall, I mean, that, that hits a little too close to home for us today, does it not? You see, because like, as we alluded to earlier, I think that we unfortunately see the collapse and fall of so many. And it's not just out there, but it's potentially in our own lives as well. Because if we were to do a personal assessment of our own lives, you know, maybe some of us, once again, we're sitting there like, yeah, you know what? I'm teetering on the point. Physical, emotional, spiritual collapse. I'm teetering on the point of a moral falling and a moral collapse in my life. And so friends, come on, let's, let's lean in. Let's learn from God's word because there is so much wisdom in how he is prompting us today. Because when we look back at this, it says that the foolish person, uh, they didn't put into practice. They were disobedient to, to Christ's call. It's almost as if their ears ignored Jesus. 
And so if we wanted to put words around this caution that we see, we could say ultimately this, a closed ear to Christ can lead to a collapse. Okay, a closed ear to Christ, all right? This idea of like, I'm cupping my ears, or I'm sticking, ah, la, 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 I, will not, I will not listen to you, right? A closed ear to Christ can lead to a potential collapse in our lives. I wanna lay this before you because there is no foundation upon which we can build our lives in the foundation and the hope of Christ and Christ alone. And so when we think about it, if there's anything that the last few years have really taught us, it's this idea that, man, we are stretched thin and we are pressed in from almost every single angle, are we not? And whenever we get to that point, right, we're, we're facing things that will lead to that potential collapse. We're, we're facing exhaustion. We're facing fatigue. We're facing potential burnout in our lives. And I got to be honest, this is something that I've had to navigate over the last several months and year as well, because it's just constantly coming back. Man, how am I managing my energy? How am I managing my rest? Am I filling my cup with things that are life-giving? Am I building my life upon the foundation? So if there's anyone who needs to hear this message, believe me, it's me as well. Because the thing that we have learned over the last several years is that if we're not careful, burnout will lead to fallout. When we are pressed in and stretched thin, that burnout can lead to a potential fallout and a collapse in our lives. And the torrent that's spoken of here in this parable, it, it, it could be really one of two things. Uh, it has a, a future ramification and a present ramification, speaking about that river, that torrent that will wipe away the house. It, it says, first of all, there's a future torrent, and it could be the future judgment that we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And if we don't have our life built upon his foundation and what he has done, not what we have done, but what he has done given to us, then we will not be able to stand the judgment. But not only that, it has a present ramification too, because if we aren't building our life on the appropriate foundation of Christ, then all the tests and all the trials of today will wipe us away. Friends, what are you anchoring your hope into right now? And so when we think about that, there are things that I believe are kind of like breadcrumbs that will kind of be for us check engine lights, spiritual check engine lights for us to kind of tip us off. Because what happens whenever your check engine light comes on? Right, you ignore it, don't you? No, I'm kidding. You should see, oh, check engine light. I need to take the car in. I need to get something checked out. And so what I want to do is I want to invite us, man, maybe God is prompting you. Take, take your own personal assessment today. Utilize these spiritual check engine lights for your life and answer, am I on the pathway to a potential collapse? Now, these check engine lights, we've used it here at Weston before, but it's the acronym HALT. Let me just give it to you here briefly. Um, HALT, first of all, hungry. You're like, really? Think about it. Jesus ate with people all the time, right? Do you think Jesus was ever hungry? Yeah, he probably was. But he knew the, the need for eating and, and for fulfilling our, our physical needs as well. You know, I think about the Snickers commercial. I mean, they got it, right? You're not yourself. Have a Snickers, okay? That was the idea behind it. Maybe some of you are like, ooh, I, I like this teaching today. All right, but are you filling your, your physical body with the appropriate things that you need? Are you hungry? Or second, are you angry? I mean, think about it. It is so hard to be and love like Jesus when we're angry. I mean, when we're impatient, when we're in a hurry, uh, right? Anger will lead us to make rash decisions. Sometimes y'all are hangry, hungry and angry. Okay, we move along. Next is lonely. Lonely. Just sit in this for a second. How many of you feel lonely and isolated? Maybe that's a spiritual check engine light for you. You don't have people speaking into your life or vice versa. You don't have people that you can speak life into either. I think that this is one of the greatest lies of our day and age today, that you can do life and you can do faith alone. We're called to go at it with others. 
Or perhaps the final one is tired. How many of us are tired? Yeah, okay, I see one hand. Some of you are like, I'm too tired. <laughs> I'm too tired. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we all are. Aren't we all fatigued and exhausted? I see the hand right here, all right, yeah. Third grader, fourth grade, I don't know, maybe. Third, did I get it? My man, all right, third grade. Yes. She's closing prayer, y'all. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but how many of us are fatigued and exhausted? Right? Whenever we're exhausted, whenever we're fatigued, whenever we are stretched thin and pressed in, once again, it's hard for us to be in love like Jesus and we could teeter on the point of a collapse. I had a wise friend recently who just gave this advice. Hey, do your best and take a nap. Just the simplicity of it. Right? Do your best and take a nap. You see, because when we come to this parable, I mean, we, we see this idea, this caution. What are you building your life upon? If you don't build your life on the hope of Jesus, then when the torrent, when the waters rise, we're going to be swept away. And so, friends, let's be those people who build on the foundation. We've seen, first of all, the clarification that obedience, really the bedrock of following Jesus, that foundational element of the foundation, is saying yes to God's promises. The, the caution is a, a closed ear to Christ can lead to a collapse. But now we come to this third point, which is a call. And the beautiful part about this parable is that Jesus gives all of us a call and an invitation in our life and in, in our journey. And so for that, I'm going to go back to verse 47 one more time to unpack this. It says this, As for everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice, I will show you what they are like. And so when we look at this, there are really three key words, almost three steps of a progression. And I want to highlight those words for you here. It says this, Everyone who comes to me, and everyone who hears my words, and then everyone who puts them into practice. I'll show you what they are like. And so we can ultimately pull the calling and the invitation from this verse. We would say this as our calling today. Jesus calls us to come to him, to hear from him, and to do what he asks. Okay, Jesus calls us first to come to him. That obedience, it's not mustered up on our own self, but it's first whenever we are being with Jesus and when we come to him first, then when we hear from him, and then when we do what he asks. And the thing that I appreciate so much about this one little verse is, is I think it really begins to give us two types of parties, two types of camps. You see, because I think there are uh, a certain set of people who, you know, they would say, yeah, I've come to Jesus, but I have a hard time hearing and doing. And then there's another set of people who say, yeah, I haven't come to Jesus yet. I don't know what this whole idea of like seeing Jesus as Savior is all about. So I want to address both parties here in a little bit, but let me start with this first one. Some of y'all might say, you know what? I identify as a Christ follower. I say that I have come to Jesus, but if I'm honest, man, uh, this whole idea of hearing and doing, it's not second nature to me. It's really hard. And I feel like I'm kind of stuck in my faith. So how do I hear from God? Let me give you a couple invitations. First invitation is this. Plain and simple, I want to ask you a question. How do you respond when things don't go your way? Just think about it. How do you respond when things don't go your way? When your kids don't listen to you? Uh, when things are rocky with your spouse, whenever your, your coworker doesn't quite uh, meet your expectation, when someone cuts you off in traffic, not speaking personally here or anything, just hypothetically for us, how do you respond whenever things don't go your way? Because the reality is that whenever we are pressed in, uh, whenever things begin to, the pressure mounts, the things that come out of our mouths or the things that we type on our Facebook or Instagram feeds, that shows us what it is that we are building our foundation on. Okay, whenever we are pressed in, the things that emerge from our mouths, they're actually emerging from our hearts. 
Now, granted, hear me when I say this. We don't do this perfectly, right? That's why Jesus is a gracious God, but it's an invitation and a reminder that sometimes God promptings are the loudest whenever we find ourselves in pressure. Okay, God prompts us the loudest whenever things don't necessarily go our way. And so I just want to invite you, when something like that happens, lean into it and attune your ear to how God is prompting you in that moment that you might be and love like him. That's the first invitation. Second invitation, you know, for some of us, we're sitting and we're like, yeah, I just, I, I can't hear from God or I don't know what it means to do what he's asking me to do. I, I want to invite you into a simple spiritual practice called prayer. Okay, but I want to give you a little bit more direction around that. As we mentioned earlier, we are sending out two teams to Ghana and Togo. And so we want to invite you to be a part of our stay and pray team. You can see a QR code there on the screen. Now you might be thinking, what does the stay and pray team do? You ready for it? This team, they stay and they pray. Yeah, you got it. Exactly. And this stay and pray team, they will get constant updates about what God is doing in and through these teams that are going overseas. And the amazing part about it is that whenever we begin to open our eyes to the movement of God around the globe, that will enlarge our faith. And then we converse with God about what he is doing. And that quickens our faith in newer ways that will deepen our faith for us to build the foundation on the living hope of Jesus Christ. And so I invite you, how do you respond when things don't go your way? And second, practically, just join our stay and pray team. You can pull out your phone, you can follow the link. We won't judge you too much. No, I'm kidding. But do it and it'll be great. But second camp, how about those people who, you know, you're sitting there and you're like, yeah, I haven't come to Jesus. I I don't know this whole idea of like identifying as a Christ follower or really begin to unpack Jesus as Savior. What does that even mean? The reality is that some of you might be in that boat because frankly, you've been hurt by church. Maybe for others of you, you've never had a chance to attend church or hear somebody verbalize or vocalize who Jesus is and what he's done in our lives. Now, you know, maybe for some, quite frankly, you're just kind of sitting there like, I, I, don't, I don't get the purpose. I don't, I don't understand why it's important to build my life deep down and, and build this foundation thing that you're talking about, Pastor. And so when I think about that, though, I'm, I'm reminded that we all face so many different things today. You see, some of us are navigating just mental health. We've got grief, depression, anxiety, uncertainty about the future, maybe just a pent-up sense of anger. And the reality is that we can't solve that on our own. We've got to invite somebody in to help us with that. Maybe for others of us, you're like, man, I've made an absolute train wreck, shipwreck of my life right now. Because the actions, the choices, the decisions I've made, and the reality is sometimes we, we can't fix that on our own. We need somebody to step in and to help us in that journey as well. And for others of us, you know, we're sitting there and we're like, I don't get the point. I don't get the purpose in my career, in my nine to five, in my work. Uh, it's, it's purposeless right now. Or maybe you're even sitting there you're like, you know what? I don't get the purpose behind my life right now either. But what I want to do is I want to just lay before you scripture. Because Jesus speaks to us even today. For those of you who are sitting there, you're like, yeah, I don't get the point. I, I don't understand the why in my life. Uh, hear the words, Ephesians 2.10. It says, for those who are in Christ, they are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, prepared beforehand for them. You have a purpose and a calling in Christ. For those of you who are just, man, you're at your wits end, you're tired, you're fatigued, you're exhausted, hear the words of Jesus. He says, he says, come to me. Same word that we see here. He says, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus doesn't just want something from you, he wants something for you as well. 
And then some of us were sitting there and we're like, yeah, I, I, I'm the guy, I'm, I'm the person, I'm, I've shipwrecked, I've train wrecked my whole life. I just need a grand reset in all things. Hear the words. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old has gone and the new is come. You see, Jesus is that foundation that we can place our life upon. And so friends, I just ask you and invite you, what is your step of obedience today to Christ? May we be those people. And the beautiful part about it is this isn't just an individual personal call to obedience, but we get to do this collectively as a church. That's why we have the opportunity to come to the table today, this communion table, to receive of the bread and the cup with one another. Uh, The bread symbolizing his body given for us, a sure foundation that we can place our life upon, and this cup, a sign of the new covenant that the old is gone and the new is here. Jesus is making all things new. And so friends, as we receive and take of these elements, I just invite you, may our hearts stir with gratitude for who Jesus is and what he's done. Would you please stand with me as we pray together? Gracious Father, we thank you so much that you have sent your son Jesus, that he came to seek and to save the lost, but he doesn't just save us from peril that we experience, but he saves us to a calling and to a purpose, that we have this calling to be and love like Jesus, that we can be the hands and the feet, and Lord, we know that you prompt us daily, and so I pray, Lord, that you will tune our ears to hear your promptings in our life. That we might even think now of someone who is facing hardship or difficulty, that we can move towards them to bring your goodness. And Lord, we know that there are some here today gathered with us who have not had a chance yet to say, I want to come to Jesus. I want to see Jesus as Savior and as Lord. And friends, if that's you, I just invite you, just open up your hands, open up your hearts and say, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I admit that I need your help. I need your aid. I need your direction in my life. And so, Lord, I surrender my life to you. I surrender all of it to you. As John 10 says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came that we might have life abundantly. And so, friends, know that that abundant life is available to you in Jesus. And so, Lord, as we take of these elements, may we do so with glad and sincere hearts for our good and for your glory. We pray all this in the beautiful, matchless name of Jesus, by the power of the Spirit, and all God's people said, amen.